Turn with me now, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'll begin reading with verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all riches in the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures uh, is in wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the uh, basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. You have the sermon outline there uh, laid out. I've got, I'm not going to, there's seven points there. I basically want to go by the verses and and uh, each of those, each of these ideas um, has, has significance, but I'm not going to belabor, it's not going to be a really long seven point sermon for that would, I think, defeat the um, the purpose of things. And I think I just wanted to draw, I just wanted to point out that Paul begins his message talking about a conflict. And he, he doesn't just call it a conflict, but he calls it a great conflict. Uh, verse 1, he says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. Laodicea and Colossae were very close together. They were only about 10 miles apart, uh, heading toward the, city, the coastal city of Ephesus, which was uh, uh, more than 100 miles further along. So Laodicea and Colossae were neighboring small towns on this trade route, on this main road going east and west through what is now present-day Turkey. And... Um, and Paul is writing to them. We've been focusing on the idea that the really neat thing about this is that Paul is building a church. God is building a church using Paul as his servant in a very pagan area of the world uh, that had been part of the Greco-Roman Empire, which meant that it was a polytheistic region, just like in Ephesus, they had many gods. Remember, they had the riot there. They, they, they worshipped the, the god of the city was named Diana. And so this was a pagan area. These people were not used to even monotheism, much less uh, the knowledge of God as we know it in Jesus Christ. And so a church was started there. And I've, I've related how I, th I took that as a real encouragement because uh, 
we, we confront nothing less today in terms of the paganness of people's hearts. Either people are Christians and really enlightened, or in some sense they are pagans. They are in the darkness. There, there's not, there are not different grades of darkness where there are five shades of gray and then only one shade of pure blackness and darkness. No, there are it's only two different grades. And so the, the, the task that we face today in talking to people is uh, talking to people that are totally misled. Uh, the, the, some are believers in our day, perhaps probably more than were in Paul's day. But uh, we also see in our day those who believe that they're Christians or believe that they have Christian knowledge and yet are really and darkness. They have not really been regenerated. And so that's why so many people in the country are, are so many people in this country swollen over the false doctrine that they get from their cultural leaders. They're so vulnerable because they are not steeled with the knowledge of God against these things. And so our contest, our difficulty is not much different than it was in this day. Now, Paul says here, as if it wasn't enough that they had difficulties, Paul says he speaks of a great conflict that the church was faced with. In other words, he's saying that there is a, uh, that their coming to faith was not going to make it easier for them, but indeed they were going to find themselves in the midst of conflict. And so, each verse here that we deal with deals in some way with this idea of conflict. And the idea that the people of God must get used to that. And their minds must be familiarized with that, that idea so that when conflicts arise, they don't think that they've been deserted by the Lord. Um, <clears throat> uh, now the... The point is, throughout this, as Paul talks about this conflict, what we see is that he's speaking to a people who have, who have a good humor or uh, a zeal for the Lord despite the conflict. And that's, that's what God calls us to today. Um, I noticed recently that a statistic... They gave out for America that they said there are there are over forty five thousand. This past year has been forty eight thousand. Forty eight thousand suicides in America this past year, and of that of that number, uh, forty eight, eighty percent of that are men. We see that the 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 leadership of our country is very disheartened. When we think of conflicts and conflicts that would dishearten people, we think of 48,000 people and then of that, what's 80% of 48? It's about 40,000 um, 40, people that kill themselves are men. Just it's, it's amazing. It's devastating. But when I first heard that, I, I compared it with COVID and uh, the COVID deaths have been more, but we're up, to, I think in total for the two years, we're up to about 700,000 now, uh, COVID deaths. But uh, to think that every year that there are roughly 50,000 deaths 
in the country uh, abide by uh, people killing themselves. It really is amazing. And you realize that no matter how much people talk boldly and bravely about how great they're doing and about how certain they are about things, the men of the nation are sick to death. There's a, there is a great conflict that's going on all around us. And the people of Colossae were enthused to follow Christ despite the conflict that Paul talked about coming upon them because they had been resurrected in heart. Resurrected in heart, lifted up in heart by the knowledge of God, by the knowledge of the gospel, by the, by the knowledge of their standing with the Lord, by their knowledge of being adopted by him, by their sense of friendship with God, and by their opportunity then to go weekly and worship God in a way that was far more enthusiastic and satisfying than they'd ever had with paganism. So the whole context here is one of conflict and yet of the redemption of Christ that is buoying the spirits of these people. And I pray that your hearts are buoyed today in the same way. Well, we see the first, the first conflict that Paul mentions or the first aspect of the conflict is Paul's absence. He says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those of Laodicea for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. We are people of uh, very slight strength. And so, as the gospel was being preached in Colossae, people would talk about Paul, the great apostle that had been through there and had been the, the missionary that had started their church. People would refer to that. But there were many that were joining who had never seen Paul. They had heard stories about him, but they hadn't seen him. And so when we don't see things face to face, when we don't have the reality of our words, if we're not immersed in that, and it's not ever present for us, we tend to be unbelieving. We tend to wonder, well, did that person really exist? We wonder that about Jesus today. He's He's resurrected. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, Almighty. Is he real? You know, we'll ask that question of our hearts. Is he real? Does he really exist? Did he really do what the Bible said? You see, we are so, uh, we are so dependent upon our senses, upon our seeing and our hearing and our touching and our smelling. We're so dependent upon these senses that when, that when the reality is not there, it's very difficult for our faith organ to operate. Faith was that organ of the heart that God gave us at the very beginning, but then was lost in the fall and has been regained partially by the regeneration of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But faith does not always ride along triumphantly, fully strong, exuberant, competent, it's often weaker. And so Paul says here, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those of the way to see it for as many as have not seen me in my face in the flesh. Christianity is a religion of faith. It's not a religion of touch. We don't have idols. We have reality 
but we perceive that reality by faith. And Paul understands that as he begins to write here uh, to the Colossians. And the first conflict that they would have was the fact that they just, they, they, they didn't have their great leader to rest on. They had, to, they had to rest in faith. They had to rest on the word of God. They had to rest on the hearing of the ear. And that's not an easy way to go. He, he, he continues on in verse 2 uh, to speak of it being a conflict regarding the hearts. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of the mystery of God. So we see this idea of the heart, and there's a conflict of the heart, and the, Paul wanted them to know that he knew that their hearts were involved in this conflict, and therefore he mentions the church and its affection for each other. Brothers and sisters, as we go through this conflict of life, one of the great encouragements is that we, our hearts are knit together in Christ, in the body of Christ. So as we go through these conflicts, we know that uh, we are not alone. Now, right now our numbers are down in this uh, church, especially today. With we've got some COVID, as if we that weren't suffering enough in terms of numbers. Now we got COVID assaulting us and uh, afflicting two of our families. But uh, as we look about, I see people that I love. And I hope you see a pastor that you love and other people as you look around, people that you love. Where do you find that in the world? If you can find people that are fellow fans of some football team or some basketball team or baseball team or something like that, you can find neighbors that maybe have done you right once in a great while. But do they really love you? I don't think. I think most of us know these people don't really love us. And we hope that in the worst circumstances that they might stand up and be loving to us again if there was the need uh, that arose. Our, our, our society, our city used to be more that way. But now today we hardly know each other as neighbors. But in the Church of Christ, we have a fellowship and a love that witnesses and testifies to the truth of the Lord. And so as we have these conflicts swirl around us, is, not, is that not a great um, encouragement? And then at the end of verse 2, uh, Paul mentions the conflict regarding assurance. <clears throat> um, uh, he says uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit, to get knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of full assurance. So that this love that we have in the body of Christ has something to do with building up assurance, the assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. Um, this is not a sermon on assurance, but assurance is very important for the Christian life to give us a sense of stability and so that uh, assurance drives out fear, the fear of being wrong, the fear of being deserted, the fear of, fear of being left uh, alone and bereft of any other support. But Paul here spoke of the, the love that was in their hearts, uh, uh, attaining to the riches of the full assurance of understanding. So he wants, in terms of the faith, the Lord wants us to, to be assured, but there's a conflict about that. And, and, the, and one of the ways that 
assurance comes to us is by surviving the conflict together as the people of God. As we understand more and more the knowledge of the mystery of God. And then he goes on, fourthly, um, or uh, thirdly, to mention the, the, that the assurance is built up by our knowledge of God in history. As, as we can see God working in Israel, God working on his plan over the millennia, this a thousand year periods of time. As we see God working in that way, uh, he has already talked here in Colossians of the mystery of the Old Testament, the mystery of Israel. So he says now as the New Testament church is birthed, and that mystery is made plain by what we're seeing how God's plan here is not just to save Israel, but to save the whole world, that people should be encouraged by that, and indeed they were. Uh, and they could see the work of both the Father and the Son, the Father in Christ. So it makes reference here to the Trinity and to the triune working of God in this world. He says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So this Jesus, this is the fourth point, this Jesus uh, who, is, who has been revealed as the Son of God is so totally magnificent because it's in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now we think of wisdom and knowledge. All the things that we know, all the things that we consider wise, and when we look at the person of Jesus Christ, we see that in him is the essence of that. In him is the epitome of that. As Jesus came and walked this earth, he taught us how to be responsible. He taught us how to love. He taught us how to be sacrificial. He taught us how not to be undone by the circumstances of our lives. His circumstances would have blown all the rest of us away. All of us. Any one of us. One by one or all together. And yet Christ, like a mighty ship, plowed through the waves, seeking the destination which he had been allotted by his heavenly Father. And even though he went there at the end alone, virtually alone, with maybe a couple of disciples around that waited at the cross, the cross, Golgotha, was a lonely place because Jesus took up that task without the help of others around him, without the accolades of men. It's fine, it's easy for us to do things when everybody's cheering for us, but how about whenever everybody's cursing us and they're criticizing us and they're saying that we are on the wrong course? That was the life of Jesus. But he plowed on through. It wasn't. It did not dawn him. It did not overcome him. And so, in him, we see this magnificence uh, of um, of endowment and of faith in his heavenly Father. Yeah, both the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, despite that endowment, the conflict swirled around the Father's plans and the Son's execution of those plans. Despite the deity, despite the greatness of God, despite the greatness of His Son, the conflict raged around them. But they went through, they plowed through. And the Colossian church today was evidence of their success. In verse 4, 
Then he speaks of the conflict in terms of rhetoric and reality. In other words, talk versus what is actually done. The main tool of the devil is his talk, his conversation. I've been amazed in recent political history of just how almost anything can be spun to be almost the opposite of what it is. And I could give all kinds of political illustrations here, uh, but uh, I really I really don't want to do that to, to sound like a, a political speech. But we're, we live in a world today where the devil argues that up is down and down is up. He argues that what is warm is really cold and what is cold is hot. So we have a war on our hands in terms of rhetoric. But that's what Paul is speaking about here in terms of uh, verses 4 and 5. He says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Persuasive words are what we call rhetoric. Rhetoric, are, rhetoric is the art of framing words in a persuasive way so that people will be persuaded to do what we want them to do or what we think that they should do. That's wonderful if we want them to do what is right. Then it's not false rhetoric. It's, it's encouraging and inspiring rhetoric. But so oftentimes in this world, people want us to do what is not, what is not correct. Uh, in terms of the, just this COVID thing that is upon us, we see our leaders uh, trying to persuade us that, we'll, that we have to do this or that. The president said we had to get booster shots just a, uh, in the last month. This was something we had to go on to step three. And he got way out ahead of his uh, skis, as they say, or way out ahead of his surfboard. And uh, now the, now the, his, uh, his own scientists are saying that they don't have faith in the booster shots yet. And they, now, so they don't think it's a good. He can't, he can't say that yet. But uh, it, uh, people have been persuaded by this or that argument, and I think so many of us, are, we, we've gone through this, we've believed, and then we've been disabused of our belief, and so most of us are in a place where we really are going very tentatively, step by step, trying to see what really is the argument, the best argument for how we ought to behave in any one set of circumstances, like this, the COVID thing. Uh, is it, when is it good to get vaccinated? When, when is it not good to get vaccinated? Uh, who is really telling the truth? Who is not? Well, the world, having turned away from the word of God, the word of God booms loudly that God exists and it booms of his, uh, loudly of his attributes and his wonders and his goodness. Men don't believe that, but they, they weave another whole gospel or line of thinking that makes an equivalency out of man being the God, man establishing his own foundation in the cosmos versus God doing that. And man weaves out this false view, this false theory, this false philosophy. He weaves that out and he gladly would have it compete with the reality of the Lord. And so Paul says there in verse 4 and 5, now I say this, that is, he's speaking about the truth of the Lord. I say this, lest anyone should deceive you. 
It is possible to be deceived, very possible, uh, with persuasive words. Are persuasive words true words? Or are they merely persuasive? They're mainly, they're mainly attempting to persuade us. And of course it's the latter. They're not true. For though he says, I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Through all these conflicts, the Colossian church was going week by week, day by day, with an uncanny, unworldly stability and steadiness of faith. And that's what we need in our more conservative churches and our biblical churches here in America. Because the culture is certainly not supporting us. The culture doesn't salute us. The culture doesn't applaud us. The culture seeks at every point to undermine us. Every time we make our money and our, our salaries and put something in the bank, we find that there's some crisis that we must attend to. And it takes it out. So uh, it is a real battle to be alive today and not be undone by discouragement. And so Paul goes on, he says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, how, how have we received Christ Jesus the Lord? We've received him by faith. He wasn't there. He was gone. He'd been crucified. He'd been resurrected. But we received a message. And that message rang true with our hearts. As we worshiped, as we listened to the apostles, we found that these words rang a bell deep within us. And so we followed him. Paul said, you therefore receive Christ Jesus, also now walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, which is the, the objective sense of faith. It's not the feelings of faith, it's the, the truth of faith. It's the doctrines of faith. So Paul wants them to be to feed off the truth that they know about Jesus Christ. What truth do we know about Jesus Christ? He was truly God. He was truly man. We understand why both of those things was important. Uh, he was the son of God. He had a unique relationship with the father. The father had given him a commission, a task, a mission. And he had come on that mission and he would executed the mission perfectly. So we are, we are we're to be rooted and built up in this message, in the truth of that message, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The happy heart. Drives out many devils. The happy heart makes no room for discouragement or thoughts of quitting. If people, if we resist happiness, the happiness of heart that God gives us, then we're prime candidates for discouragement, for being overwhelmed. But it's amazing how in places of persecution in the world, of stories of Christians that are being slaughtered, killed. You'd think that the people that were doing the slaughtering, that they would be men of confidence and happiness and joy, and that the Christians would be really destroyed by the destructions. Works have brought some magazines here for us to read on the side, The Voice of the Martyrs. And it's an amazing thing in the history of the church where the Christians who are being slain are happier and more confident and more holistic 
than those who are doing the killing. Because the Lord has communicated to our hearts, the Lord has communicated to our hearts the truth of the situation. And the truth of the situation is that everything that you see is not what you get. And everything that you get is not what you see. And so together with the Holy Spirit, we can, uh, we can be strong. Now, verse 8 um, deals with the conflict uh, regarding sophistication. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about the culture already and how the culture would like to seduce us. But 8 and 9 say, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Well, you see, there are two basic ways of thinking. There are two basic ways of formulating your mind. There's the, there's the truth of Christ, and then there's the philosophies of this world. Uh, the word philosophy means the love of wisdom. But the whole key is, what is that wisdom based upon? Is the wisdom based upon me and my humanistic strength, my assertions? If I assert something strong enough, will you believe it? If I simply say something, even if it's wrong and it's idiotic, but if I say it with great enthusiasm, will you believe it? Or will you believe that still small voice of Jesus Christ, who is true? The world may not shout his name, but he is the one who has preeminence. Paul has already said to the Colossians, he is the one who already has the grandeur. This world of ours, especially in our day, where it's unbelievable that but the almost the whole university structure in America has been taken over by the deathly philosophy of humanism and by Marxist philosophy. Uh, a book has been written recently by Mark Levin called American Marxism. And the, the, it's hard to believe that our centers of higher learning could have been taken over like this. Rather than think about it in the negative, I, I'd, I'd approach the schools in the positive. If you, Mr. or Mrs. University, if you are not teaching something positively contrary to the American Marxism of the day, to the humanism of the day, if you do not have an antidote that you're teaching your students, then of necessity you are going along with the flow. Many schools will say, oh, we're not doing that. We're not. Well, my question is, what are you doing positively? I'd ask all of our high schools in this area. What program do you have in place where you are actually in opposition to what we're calling American Marxism, which is all of this totalitarianism, all of this foolishness, they use they use fancy terms that sound like they're really significant, like critical race theory. All critical race theory is, is racism uh, that allows us to hate people because they're white or because they're yellow or because, in the old days, because they're black. Critical race theory. It's nothing but a depraved racism. But people are persuaded by these things because it's critical race theory. It sounds so noble. It sounds so complex. It's nothing but hatred. The devil has persuaded people of the glory of hatred. 
And so Paul says there's a conflict regarding sophistication. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that in college I studied philosophy because philosophy focuses on the smartest people who have ever lived, or at least one group of the smartest people who have ever lived. And I've read their, I've read their essays. Sometimes it would take me hours and hours to read a five-page essay. But I got through it. And I understood it. And now I can say with integrity and confidence that Christ is more sure and more wonderful than all of these things, than all the ribbons, all the robes, all the doctrinal garments that people wear, all the hats, the mortar boards on top of their heads. Christ, without any aplomb, without any adornment, is better than all of this stuff. The Bible calls it, in some places, dung or feces. Because men salute it, but just because men do that, it's no argument for it. I have a friend worked on a farm in upstate New York. One of these huge farms where they have thousands and thousands of milk cows. And so one of the ways, one of the problems that they have is getting rid of all the manure. You know, if cows make poop. How do you get rid of it? Especially when you have thousands and thousands of them. So they have these huge tanks that are that are bigger. You can take this room that we're in here and multiply it by eight and would be the, the size of the tanks. And this, they have this arm that goes around and stirs all the goo. And they, they chemically, it processes itself and they it produces methane gas. And they it's the, the farms are so scientific today, they, they pull the methane gas off that pool and they use it to run the farm. For energy. It's wonderful. But the pool is not. The pool is still a pile of poop. And I know uh, one of the farmers that was working up there uh, was walking across a walkway ab above, the, uh, above the, 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 the stew and the walkway gave way and he fell into the goop. Now he did not, despite the fact that that's all that there was, he did not consider that a real victory. Uh, he got out as fast as he could. Now, it was a cold day. And this particular farmer ran home as fast as he could and uh, had his wife get the hose outside. It was a cold day, he, he, but she just started spraying him. And it was cold, but that cold was far better than the covering that he had recently immersed himself in. Just because we have, we live in a world where we can be immersed in the stew, as it were, hopefully we know the difference between cleanliness and poop. But the majority of people today, they love the goo. It's a sad, it's a sad and terrible day. But Paul says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy in vain to see. They tell you this is good. You know, that the, 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 the stew of manure is really the, the place to be according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. He concludes now by saying this wonderful verse, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. There 
in little Colossae, in the middle of nowhere, because they had listened to the word of God and absorbed it and, and, and uh, uh, adopted it as their own. And they now are walking in that wonderful gospel. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that we would know the difference between uh, the, the healthy air and the, and the clean water and a pond of manure. Help us, O oh Lord, to desire to walk in the air and in the light and not in this toxic soup. Help us to see Christ. Help him to take us, to save us even unto the uttermost. In his name we pray. Amen.